Welcome back, everybody, to Uncensored CMO. Now, in this episode, I'm joined by the CMO, Very Jess Myers. She is in the very, very competitive world of retail. In fact, it doesn't really get much more competitive than retailers at Christmas. We know that from our System One data. So Jess came up with a brand new campaign this year, which has been very successful and driven huge business results. I want to catch up with Jess to find a bit bit more about the campaign, her background in financial services, and how she made the big jump from there to the competitive world of retail. There is so much in this. You're going to love it. Here it is. Welcome to the show, Jess. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. It's great to have you. And it, it was great because we met, didn't we, last summer at Madfest? We, and we did. We did the panel about retail yep. and how how tough it is, but also how exciting it is to work in. Um, we're going to talk about Very, of course, and your new campaign and what you're doing and the results you've had. And can't wait to get into that. But take us back to the beginning and your career. And how did you get here, say, because you've had a journey through banking, particularly, haven't you, finance, through challenger brands and now at retail. But uh, yeah, give us a, a sense of your journey you've been. So really early on, I always knew I wanted to get into marketing. I think someone had said to me, oh, you're an extrovert and bubbly. You'll be great in marketing. What what a silly comment to to make. But, you know, it set me down on a path of kind of going down to marketing. I did a degree in business and marketing management. It's one of those degrees where you do two years at university, then you go out and work in industry for a year and you come back for your final year. And when I selected my internship, I was like, oh, needs to pay well and be in London and be a brand that I recognise. So I spent a year at American Express, which was absolutely fantastic. I finished my degree at university and then turned down my graduate programme at American Express, much to my parents' absolute horror, because I decided to move to Australia. So I flew over to Sydney and uh, got a job working for a large retail bank over in Sydney called the Commonwealth Bank of Australia. And my three-month contract there turned into nine extraordinary years. I sort of recreated the graduate program, did a variety of roles, but I landed in brand for my final five years, which is where I guess the the technical practitioner experience of understanding brand, but brand being every single customer touch point of your business, and then working in corporate strategy was, you know, a really key moment. I then came back to the UK um, because I'd had my first child and I wanted to be closer to my to my family, and started working for the NatWest Group. They were the RBS Group by back then. I was head of brands. I looked after a portfolio of about sort of ten to twelve different brands across sort of strategy, identity, all of the kind of campaign planning. And I'd been about five years there, and you start to get to that moment thinking, I'm not sure what my next role is. I'm really enjoying it, but I think I need to to move on. I'm a real believer of throwing things out to, to the universe. So did that and suddenly I get a call from Metrobank. Wow. And is, is this when Metrobank had just launched? Because Met- Metrobank's fairly new in the UK, isn't it? They are. So at the time, they're about 10 years old and they gave me a call and said, look, we are 10 years young. Um, we don't have a marketing team. The brand has been through a bit of a turbulent time and we're looking for somebody to join as our first ever brand and marketing director to set up our first marketing team and to be a brand expert and help us to navigate some of the um, reputational turbulence. And I thought, oh, that's a bit of a brave decision, isn't it? Leading, leaving from a big you know, organization of about 90,000 people and joining one of 4,000 people, but felt like the right thing to do. You know, gut instinct is quite a pull. So I took the jump and moved to Metro and that was amazing. I spent three years at Metro Bank, but after four months of being there, you know, I joined in uh, November 2019. So four months later, we tick into wow. the COVID time. <laughs> Timing. Uh, the guy who, who had hired me had moved on. I get a call from the CEO. I thought, oh my goodness, I'm literally about to lose my job. We're heading into this 
pandemic. What's this uncertainty? And he said, no, actually, your boss has just left. I'm promoting you to the executive committee. You're now going to report into me. The board have just signed it off. You've got any questions? And I thought, well, loads, but it's probably not time the right time to ask them. So my time there was absolutely incredible. And I think the, the most important thing I learned was rather than being a kind of a cog in a wheel of a machine of a really large organisation, I got to work on the executive committee, steering a brand and a bank and, you know, a community of colleagues through the pandemic. And I got to understand exactly how a bank operates and exactly how a bank makes money. And the skills I learned there, thinking about operating an enterprise, the commercial rigour was extraordinary. Having spent about three years at, at Metro, I was um, put on the succession plan for the CEO. Wow. So in time, yeah. so yeah, yeah. Jess, we'd like to get you ready for this in yeah. time. We'd like you to step out of your job and maybe run the branch network or take a more of a commercial role. And I thought, that's the most flattering thing. I can't believe anyone would think I'd be ready for that. And then I had a moment thinking, I don't think I want to be the CEO of a bank. But the other serendipitous moment was that I was on the Marketing Academy Fellowship Programme. And at that, that point, you write something called a stand where you look back and say, I'm so proud of myself over the last five years because I have done this. And I wrote out exactly what it is I was looking for in my next career move. And within a couple of weeks, I had a call from a headhunter to say, Jess, have you heard of Very? That's amazing. They'd like to have a conversation with you. It's, it's funny how these things happen. Like I, I hear so many stories like that. And uh, I had a similar thing. I, I worked at um, uh, Britvic for 12 or 13 years and we had a, a residential uh, away sort of three or four days. And it's funny how little things stick in your mind. I remember for me, they just, they said, what are you absolutely passionate about? You know, what, what do you bring? And then what does the company need? So I think you had to do this kind of overlap of what's the, ven- you know, what's the overlap between, you know, you as a person, what you're passionate about, what you bring and what the company's trying to do. And sometimes those little moments of reflection that you have when you take time out can be so powerful, can't it, as you look back and see those decision points in your career. Well, anyone who's gone through the Marketing Academy scholarship or, or fellowship, it's the most extraordinary privilege. How do you get into it, by the way? Because I'm aware of it. Yeah. I don't, is it something you can apply for? Do you get nominated? You have to apply for it. And it's an incredibly rigorous process. I mean, Sherilyn has set up the most extraordinary programme for both the scholars and, and, and the fellows. Um, and so you apply for the fellowship. You know, you need to go through an application process. You get um, vetted and then you go through an interview process and if you're one of the select I think 20 or so who get onto it you have a life-changing experience you know and the cohort that you become you're part of become a very close-knit community of yours so it was one of the most extraordinary experiences and I guarantee you I wouldn't be in my role now had I not gone through that fellowship program because not only did it help me think about what it was I really wanted to do the training you get from McKinsey and the faculty at the fellowship sets you up for success. It's all about going from CMO to CEO and making sure you have the right qualities in place. So yeah, and a ma- ma- yeah, Amazing. incredible. Amazing, that sounds incredible. Um, the other thing that resonated about what you said as well was going from a big organisation to, I guess, a challenger brand and where and, and the learning you get in a much smaller, well, relatively smaller, I suppose, you know, Metro is still big. And again, I remember the similar thing going from a big kind of drinks business to a, not a startup, but a sort of smaller scale up. And the experience you get so quickly when you get involved in everything, don't you? It's not just like my small bit of the marketing world. You, you get involved in the whole running of the business. And so I think often marketers are chasing the logo, the the size of budget, the size of team, when actually sometimes it's better to chase the experience and what you're going to get and what you're going to learn. And I found you learn much quicker, much more in sometimes smaller organisations than you do in big ones. But somehow it feels like you're, it can feel like you're sort of trading down sometimes, doesn't it? If, you, if you're just thinking about the size of business and how big your budget is. 
Well, I think that if you're thinking that it's a bit of a narrow-minded um, thought, you know, because actually what we should be thinking about is how do I get the skills and experience I need to really deepen my expertise to help me move on and to feel fulfilled and moving forward. Um, and moving from a large organisation to a small one is a brilliant way of, of doing that because, as you said, you get your hands across everything that that you do because a small organisation really locks together. You learn things that you would not have learned in a large organisation like an entrepreneurial mindset a growth mindset, a beautiful constraint when you don't have much, how to hustle your way, how to fly under the radar, how to nudge things forward. I remember starting my first week, I said, right, I've been trained to be a brand practitioner in a large organisation. I have my template and I know what I'm doing. Right. Can you direct me towards the customer insight team? They're like, um, it's we, you. <laughs> we, we don't have one. I was like, yeah. cool. So how am I, so I going to get some yeah. insight? Well, I'm going to go and speak to the branch managers and tell me about your customer. I'm going to go to the call centre. I'm going to listen to the customer. So you find entrepreneurial ways to get really close to what you, what you need. You know, you use your experience, you ask around, you build amazing networks and gut feel will get you a really long way. It's a really good aspect actually in smaller businesses is, is you're almost by definition close to your customer because you haven't got those layers of departments in the way and you have to be close to your customer because you don't have big research budgets or big insight teams, do you? And it means you know. Right, because you just you just you just know because your day to day much closer to the action, and it also means that you're much better at completely understanding the whole organisation and how that operates as well. So it's that enterprise mindset. I don't think about marketing; I think about moving the business forward. And if I've got a question about the commercials or the operations, I could get up from my desk, walk across the floor, go and find the person, speak to them, and go, "Show me how that works." And for me personally, that's how I learn. I don't want to read it; I want you to show me. And once you've shown me, I will learn. Um, so, the, yeah, working at Metro Bank was an amazing place to, to learn and grow. So, yeah. yeah. I remember my first jump when I went um, to Britvic, big, big organisation, you know, well-funded, et cetera, to, to a small private equity-backed little drinks company. And again, I was the marketing director, quote unquote. But then I realised, actually, I turned up and um, I wrote a big, long list of things I was going to do. And by 10 o'clock, I'd done it. And I realised I didn't have meetings. And, you know, I, I said, oh, what's the marketing budget? And like, there isn't one. I'm like, oh, you know, oh, this is interesting. And then, like you say, the, the, the topics in, in the board meeting we'd talk about would be, um, you know, how we're going to sell the business when we come to sell it. How we're going to raise money to, you know, what the pay rise will be next year. How are we going to deal with an industrial dispute? And I suddenly went, okay, so I'm now running a business now. The marketing bit is almost the 10% that I do on the side, but actually it's about running the business. And I think that's a really important point here around what are the qualities of modern day marketer? Because it's not about comms. The modern day marketer deeply understands commercials, customers, thinks about the enterprise and understands how you marry those two things together to, to accelerate progress. Um, and if you don't understand how the op business operates that makes money and you don't understand your customer, what you really are doing is the colouring in bit. That's so true. I remember uh, the company's called Purity when I was there. Um, any Any product innovation, any campaign you know however small everything had to link to something else it either had to make the margin better it had to open up a new channel it had to convince a customer to stock the standard range everything had to be leverageable for other purposes or it had to kind of keep the factory open for longer so we get we, we could become more efficient you know you suddenly think in a way holistically about a business rather than oh this is my budget i've just got to you know address this bit of the mix so it, it just makes you so rounded doesn't it and that's amazing now 
How did you go? So you talked about the serendipitous moment from the academy, getting the idea and then the call to vary. How did that move compare then? So you've got all your career in finance and and presumably, you know, well-funded businesses to re- retail is brutal from what I see, you know, what you read about. Uh, what's it been? How does it compare? How do those two things? Retail is amazing. And I think you're a retailer or you're not a retailer. You've got to love it. You've especially got to love the uh, the 12 weeks leading into Christmas that we call the golden quarter. So you know, I, although I have to say I deeply underestimated the size of the shift from going from banking into into retail. I was like, I'm a marketer. I don't understand how to do marketing. It's great. I'm just going to move into retail and, and, you know, of course I'm going to learn a different product and then off I go. I was wrong because I joined a new company with a new culture in a new, much bigger job in a completely new industry. And I joined on like, the first day of the golden quarter where the business is electric. And I walked in and I was like, what are you all doing? This is really busy. What's happening now? I I've, I know it now. You know, we are so very is um, a retailer. Yes, but we are a pure play digital retailer. We are an online department store, so we offer a number of craft categories. So, fashion, electricals, home, toys, gifts, beauty. We offer over two thousand brands plus our own brand. We have our own brand range, and as well as offering all of that to our four and a half million customers, we also have integrated ways to pay. So, yes. Very wanted my financial services background. They wanted my brand experience and my team leadership experience. And I was after to retail. So in banking, you know, of course, I've known it for my entire career, but it's generally fairly consistent. Unless you've got a few spikes throughout the season and a good old banking crisis obviously kind of gets you a bit hot under the collar. But retail, especially during the key trading periods, you're chasing a number every single day. So the pace of change and the sheer volume of customers going through is something I hadn't experienced before. And being a digital retailer, you know, marketing is our shopfront. You know, we don't have a store. So actually the marketing team are not about, they're, they're all about driving customer volume, customer growth, profitable customer growth, repeat, repeat customer business. So I was suddenly sat in this big commercial engine and learning a phenomenal amount. So it was definitely felt like I was kicked into the to the deep end, but I learned so much. And in the very, busiest period of the year. Very busy like period. And actually happening. I left out there that but three weeks before I joined, a new CEO had joined the business. So he came in and quite quickly, you know, set about on a really big growth plan for the organization, pulled together a strategic task force, which as you would expect as the CMO I was I was on. And I remember about four to five weeks into the new job, um, McKinsey had come in. We were writing these growth plans. And I remember sitting at my computer thinking, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I feel completely out of my depth. I'm not quite sure how I'm going to manage this. And of course, I had a word with myself and got on with it. Pitched for budget, wrote the plan. And that's the the start of that business plan. Um, and the avenues for growth is what set us on this amazing journey to get the brand strategy work in place um, for the work we've just launched, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. That's a really interesting insight. You, I mean, you touched on like, where do I start? That That is a feeling you get, isn't it? When you change a sector or go from a big to a small company where suddenly you're not as familiar with how things get done or what's assumed and everyone else seems to be working in a way they're all very familiar with and it's new to you. How do you personally cope with that sort of shock of a, a new business, new culture, new circumstances you're trying to get clarity on what to do. How did you sort of cope with that? One of the things that I did really early on, and actually I I nicked this from the first 90 days book, which was really helpful. I 
got across the organisation as fast as I possibly could in meeting people to give me real depth and breadth. So I probably met about, let's say, 50 people um, across internally and also kind of our key partners. And I went and asked everyone the same five questions. The first one, which is, you know, what are our biggest challenges and how do we overcome them? The second being, uh, what are our greatest opportunities and how do we achieve them? Third question being, what's precious that I shouldn't break, we shouldn't break? Fourth one being, um, how do our teams work together and how can we make that better? And the fifth one being, if you and me, what would you do? So very quickly, I got to understand the business and crystallise that really quickly in terms of what the opportunities were. And I already knew roughly the things I needed to get onto. And people then start talking around the business and what's important. And at one point, they'd say um, something, something, the brand. I went, oh, that's a good question. Now, when you mentioned the brand, can you describe for me our brands? Who are we and, and what do we stand for? In which case, I'd either get, and this is not unique to Very, I'd either get 30 seconds of silence when they go, I'm not sure how to answer that question. Or I got a completely different answer from every single person. So I was like, brilliant. So being really clear on the brand positioning and the role that plays in driving the business forward and connecting with our customers and our colleagues, first big challenge. Next thing they'd say is, um, they talk about the customer. I said, oh, that's really interesting. Tell me about our customer. And they would say, um, well, they like retail and financial services. And I was like, anything else? Great. So we need to deeply understand. So you know, yeah, un- unearthing a few things through those five questions I found really powerful, um, which helped kind of give me a bit of a test bed going into kind of this process. You've also got to sort of back yourself a bit in terms of understanding, you know, yes, I understand commerce. Yes, I understand marketing. Yes, I understand customers. So how do I start to bring some of that together? And um, if in doubt, just start writing something and then the rest of it will come. That's good advice, isn't it? Because because I, I I don't know what you're like, but I, I sometimes feel I have to have all the answers, and sometimes the answers appear as you start doing and as you start going, and it kind of fills you know the blanks fill themselves in. Don't they? What about the positioning? Because I'm I'm curious as you know, uh, as a retailer, you're like an online department store that sells so much a variety of many many things. How do you crack the positioning job then? How do you know? How do you land who you who you're targeting and what you're going to stand for and be all about as a, as a retailer? First of all, really clear commercially on, you know, the business and, you know, how we are finding our avenues for growth and how we're moving forward. The other thing that the business has done incredibly well is deeply understand our our customer in a way that I haven't um, got as close to before. So we've got our value-based segmentation, which means we understand who our most valuable customer comes from and where they come from and who they are. And then we overlaid an attitudinal segmentation to really deeply understand our customers' you know, hopes and fears and wants and dreams and, you know, you know what it, what it should do. So we can articulate our customer really, really clearly. We pull those two things together and say, right, well, how do we ensure that we have that uniqueness of very that um, the way we can bring the retail and the financial services element together is one really clear message. And how can we break through that sea of sameness that seems to be coming up from other retailers to really stand out from the crowd, to be that challenger, to really connect with our target customer? So the journey we went on was articulating that in a really pithy way, which is we landed on with lots of work that supports it. There's good and there's very good. And so that's the brand strategy which then took forward into our agency pitch process and a brief to bring the work to life. But having gone through a few, having had the privilege to go through a few brand projects in the past, one of the things I found has been most powerful is making sure you're bringing people on the journey with you. So how do you have the depth and breadth of thinking? How do you have somebody from, yes, the financial services team, but the digital customer experience team, someone from operations, someone speaks 
in customer care? How do you make sure you understand the business and understand the customer and make sure you've got that, you know, that um, inclusivity and diversity of thinking in, into what you're doing? Because if you don't have that and it's just done within the marketing team, it's not going to be successful. You, talk, you talked originally, didn't you, about your, uh, by the way, I love your interviewing 50 people. That is so cool because you build the relationships, you get a lot of intel, a lot of experience from other people, and it, it forms a bond of trust, doesn't it? You know, very, very early on. So that, that's, that's amazing. You're describing how people have different views of the customer, different views of, you know, what the position of the company was. Having then landed on that, how do you then bring all everybody with you? What are the top tips in terms of getting everyone on the same page in terms of positioning? Well, so have it, you know, you've got you know the senior leadership team piece to go through to make sure you're kind of getting buy-in at, at, at the right level. So doing that, presenting to our executive committee and to our board, making sure everyone was lined up well, it was one thing. But that's only part of it because we all know that brand is not a logo and it's not a TV advert and it's not a colour. It's quite simply everything we do. Um, it is the way a customer feels when they land on the site, they navigate to their product. It's how we get that product into their hands. It's how we answer the phone when they have a challenge. It's how we deal with a complaint. Everything is an interaction with the brand. And so actually every single person in the organisation has a duty of care to be a custodian of that brand and make sure we're really clear on the North Star and we're all pulling together in the same way versus building different things everywhere, which is what we might do if we're not clear on who the customer is or what the brand is. Um, we have something at very called a balcony briefing, which is where we get the entire company together every couple of months in our aircraft hangar in Speak, where we do a presentation on business strategy or updates on kind of charity partnerships. And I had the opportunity to present the brand strategy to the entire company in one go and describe to them, you know, in the right way, you know, because you're dealing with people who are working in our distribution centre and those who might be working in head office. So in a way that everyone can understand and feel excited about and say, right, this is who we are. This is what we stand for. And this is what we're doing next. And the next time you hear from me, I'm going to show you some work that's going to bring that to life, which hopefully you're going to feel enormously proud of, are going to connect really well with our customer um, and it's going to drive some accelerated growth for us. So that's the first point I got to do the brand strategy and bring everyone on the journey with us. And off we went then to write a live brief and do an agency pitch. Well, I can't wait to get into that. Just before we do, because um, it, it, it'd be a lot of fun to talk about that. Um, you obviously cover the breadth of the P's, you know, in terms of marketer, you know, cover a lot of things. How do you do the long and the short of it? Because, I mean, again, outside in perception on retail is it's so driven by the short term and, and almost daily results become everything, don't they? How do you balance where you invest money and time and so on? How do you get that mix right? It's a constant balance. You know, You, it's a constant balance for all of us. I wouldn't be lying if I sat here and said we have it completely nailed because everyone's wrestling every single day with wanting to manage how do you drive the sales to hit that number, but also how are you sure you're kind of bringing in a pipeline of profitable long-term future, future growth. We use a number of different measures and indicators and metrics. It's all around measurement really for us to be really disciplined and forensic on where we're investing our money and um, how we're delivering growth. We use a cost econometric modelling. We have our brand tracking. So we use empirical data to support us. But we also have all of our own internal customer data, which shows the same picture. And I can, through the modelling that we do internally, we're really clear on what customer value looks like, the channels the customer comes in, where they land, how they shop, how they behave. And a lot of that paints the long and the short term picture of a customer who's in for a sale right now versus the customer who's going to be a loyal, sticky customer and repeat business. And we help manage the marketing mix 
use, using that data. Yeah, so, so important, isn't it? Um, so let's talk about the pitch process then. This is exciting. So you got to go out to pitch. How did you select the agencies that were going to appear on the pitch? We were really, so we worked, we partnered with Oyster Catchers, who I think are absolutely fantastic. Um, so then they really got to understand us and, and know who, who we are and what we're looking for. So we were looking for an agency who shares the same values as us. So we had a really, we would have a really cultural, you know, close relationship. Somebody who would, would deeply understand our customer and celebrate and value our customer. Um, somebody who's done some really clever things with creative and insight. Someone who understands a digital, somebody who understands a regulated environment. So we had a bit of a list of things we were going through. Went from a long list down to a short list, had some chemistry sessions and took three agencies through to um, a kind of final pitch round. And all of those agencies were absolutely fantastic. Honestly, I would recommend any three of them incredibly highly. And we brought them all up to Liverpool for a day to experience very, to bring our customer to life, understand our business, to open our doors, to share our data and insight, experience our culture. And we gave them all a live brief. And the live brief was help us break through the sea of sameness, help bring our brand strategy to life, to cut through the clutter in the market and to bring the work together for our most important quarter, the golden quarter, and relaunch our brand then. And as it's a life brief, the final work will be the winning work. And actually what you saw live on TV is pretty much exactly what oh, the gate brilliant. presented to us on the final on the oh, final fantastic. day. So it was, and what we really loved about the gate is just how much they totally understood our customer. Everything they came back to us was so grounded in data and insight. They built us the more machine, which is based on fame, <laughs> fluency, and feeling. The system oh, <laughs> We'll come back gold and talk star. about that. Gold star for the gate. Five gold stars. They celebrated our customer. They got the insight and the work. You know, one of those moments where you look at the work and go, you feel nervous in a great way. Yeah. I, I, this is it. Yeah. This is it. That's we, a good feeling. We, we've that, got to it? do it. Yeah. So, and it was such a great moment. We brought the gate up to Liverpool to present to our executive committee. I thought, oh, this is a bit of a brave one. A pink flamingo at Christmas, right? Need to make sure that everyone's on board when I we come out swinging. Unanimous decision that absolutely the gate was the right, the right, the right agency with the right work. And then one of my, it was, this will be hands down one of my favourite experiences. I remember calling Jamie Elliott, who's the CEO of the gate, and I said to Jamie, "Look, you've won." congratulations but can you keep this to yourself because I'd like to pop in tomorrow and have the ability to be able to tell your team myself so he got the entire team together I stood up and very quickly said congratulations and welcome to the very group my team had bought pink flingo, flamingo balloons pink fizz pink cake and it was amazing to be able to meet the people who had worked on the pitch to, to thank them for the work they had done and to know they were about to go into the trenches together because I gave them four months to turn away around the work from pitch to launch do you know so what we that, were... that that effort will have paid off handsomely doesn't it and it's funny isn't it because like as, as clients we you know we're so used to agencies indulging us and pitching us and all putting their effort it's lovely to put the effort back in isn't it like that because that will that will have that will last a lifetime for a lot of a lot of the team I'm sure for, and yeah. for me it was started to mean to go on you know this is this is who we are this, this is our culture this is the type of people that we are and actually we're a team there's not agency and client you know we are an extension of each other's teams and how deeply we know each other will improve the working relationship we'll understand each other's businesses better and we'll make extraordinary work and that's the that's the legacy you want to leave isn't it it's, you know i want to do great work with great people 
Now, you touched on a very important point, which is customer understanding and remembering that we are not the customer. We need to understand who the customer is. And you've reminded me of your pink flamingo about uh, my probably my very first ever campaign I ever worked on. So so young John, like 22, um, I, I got to work on, uh, as is slightly older, maybe I was 25, um, my first brand manager job, right? I got to work on Matthias Rosé. So now now back then, they say we, we're talking 20 odd years ago, um, Matthias Rosé, hadn't rebranded for 50 years uh, so it'd been the same bottle same packaging and this is the first time so this is like iconic brand but it was very kind of you know grandparents drank it on holiday sort of you know sort of wine and uh, but it's the very first time they were they were literally trying to relaunch um, rosé and back then hard to believe this there was no rosé category so you know there was blue nun there's leaf from milch and there was matthias as these kind of sort of slightly eccentric old kind of wine brands but there was no rosé as a sort of a thing in the uk so their their, um their strategy was to kind of create the rosé category and um i remember being you know you know my first meeting with the entire team from uh you know from matt sograp was the company that matthias they flew over they flew their ad agency in and they did this massive reveal in front of me of the big new campaign now um i wish i knew now what i I wish i knew then what i knew now you see because i i was really nervous about how on earth do I judge this creative in front of the people that own the brand and all this sort of thing. Anyway, the agency did this big reveal. And basically the, the big idea was a massive 78, 72 sheet poster, blue sky, a bottle of rosé on ice in the corner and a pink flamingo. And the words, drink pink. I uh, love it. Now, 25 year old me was like, you know, who'd just been sheet dipped in the Diageo brand building kind of manual of, you know, creative development with all its frameworks was sitting there going, this is way too basic. I mean, oh my God, this isn't sophisticated. You know, this isn't wine. This is like, you know, <laughs> too cheap. It's sort of thing. Anyway, so I was like, so I, I, I thought the idea was terrible. So I, I came to compromise in the meeting. It's very awkward, of course, because they were like, global campaign. It's brilliant. We can't wait to see this in the UK. And then um, I said, I'm not sure. And so um, we, we, we talked about it. And I said, well, tell you what, would you let me research it? So I said, let me go away for a couple of weeks and just do some qual groups and you just like make sure that I'm right and you're wrong. I was so wrong. I mean, I've never been so embarrassed. In fact, I had to fly to Portugal with the research agency to present the results to them. And they were sat around the table with this most enormous grin. And I told you so expression, right? Because I sat in groups, right, with our target audience going, oh, my God, this is like being on holiday. They're like blue skies. Oh, the pink, the pink flamingo. That's so cool. And oh, just put the bottle of rosé just reminds me of like, oh, yeah, well, I do. I, you know, in the category, I have red or white. And then suddenly, yeah, a rosé. I'll do that. That sounds great. It just created the category, created a brilliant association. And it was fun. Is that a beautiful simplicity of it? It was simple. And it was yeah. so impactful. And literally, you know, outdoor posters can be really dull. And this was really fun and really interesting and yeah. really unlike a wine. And I tell you what, it's one of the most effective campaigns I've ever been responsible for in my life. And of course I'll admit, it is. It's got a flamingo had, in it. I know. I had no frigging clue. So lesson number one in you're not the customer. And like, but but now I understand advertising much better, obviously, than I did then. And I, I guess I was trying too hard to be all clever and sophisticated about it. And actually, you know, it, the beautiful yeah. simplicity of it, the associations it creates, the emotion it creates, the yeah. association with, you know, the with the brand was well, brilliant. There's an art and a science, isn't there, to deeply understanding the customer and there's a real discipline to staying true to it and not 
responding to the noise around you of other people's bias in there around what they believe is the right thing to do. Like a marketer's role is to deeply understand the customer and to make sure you're delivering something to them in a way that's going to help, you know, provide growth for the business. I can't tell you how many times I get a message from, you know, a board member and say, oh, I haven't seen our ad out there. It's like, well, that's good because you are not <laughs> a 35-year-old <laughs> female with two children who earn £30,000 a year. And if you did see the advert, I'd be wasting my media money. So <laughs> what a response! I'll tell you yeah. when you can see it on Bake Off. <laughs> that's a brilliant answer. Now let's talk about the work because, um, you know, you've got a pink flamingo. So there we go. We're, 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 we know we're off to, off to a winner straight away. But um, you did the unusual, but shouldn't be unusual, step of actually testing the creative idea in the pitch process, didn't you? So tell me about that and how, how did it do? Why would you spend a lot of money on creating work if you aren't absolutely sure it's going to deliver for you? So of course we tested the work. We tested the work a number of times during the creative process to make sure that it was really resonating with our customers. I mentioned we're disciplined and clear on our target customer. She's got very um, specific needs and attitudes. We need to make sure that the work and the brand is really resonating well with with her. So yes, we tested the work in the process really early on during the pitch, um, the gate tested. And then we tested again, of course, with System 1. We put our boardmatic through um, to make sure we're clear on the long term, the short term and our overall um, you know, brand ratings are in there. So it was important for us to test the work. And then, of course, we tested again um, at the end as well when we had the, the live advert ready to go. Yes. And, and it's a great case study, actually, uh, in terms of how to do t- how to use testing, because in your case, you scored a three, three and a half, I think even 3.8 star at the animatic stage. Really unusual, really unusual. So one of the fun jobs, well, not fun jobs, one of the challenging jobs I get when I, whenever I'm working with a lot of our customers is because when you st- when you test early stage, you, you get a much lower score because people don't have that. You don't have the finished film. It's, you know, people get confused. Oh, I'm looking at a cartoon. What's this about? So naturally the emotions quite dampened down. So to get three and a half stars, I think it's 3.8, which is already in the top 10 or 15% of all ads we've ever tested at that stage, you're onto a winner. Like honestly, to get that score early on is you're absolutely kind of home and dry um and then to see the difference between that it added a star didn't it by the time you then got to got to air but another star taking it right to the high fives amongst your target audience so to see that difference from what was already a very good animatic stage to great finished film is is exceptional i was quietly confident very early on that we were on to a winner you know you, you one you can just feel it but two yes it's pink and it's fantastic and it's sparkly but when you put that aside the entire campaign is completely grounded in data and insight. One of the brilliant things the gate did for us is to create an effectiveness machine that we call our more machine. And our more machine has three engines. As I mentioned, it's based on fame, fluency and feeling. So we'd use the system one thinking in there already to ground the work. We'd use really deep insight on understanding not only customer value, our position in the category and how we were going to win against our competitors. We tapped into cultural insights that are really unique to our customers, such as Hun culture. And we pulled all that together in the work. And that's what the work represented. The strategy was sound and strong, baked in insight, and the work really represented it. So I was quite confident when the original kind of boards went in. To the, but again, delighted to get a 3.8 star and thrilled to have got a 
uh, 5.7 star for our target customer when we um, did indeed. In the did final, indeed. In, with the final spot. It, it, it's worth mentioning the context here as well because um, one of the advantages of having the System 1 database is we, we test everything in the UK, test everything in the US. We test a lot in other markets as well around the world. Um, we test every different category, time of year. So we you know, test Super Bowl. We test the the biggest categories, the smallest categories, the financial services, for example, the hardest categories to do well in. Um, retail in the UK at Christmas is the world's toughest category to, to to win in. I mean, the standard is insane. You know, you take Audi, Kevin the Carrot, you know, as, as, as an example of the, or John Lewis, the level of work in the UK at Christmas, it way beats Super Bowl in terms of standards, um, you know, which is the most, probably the most prestigious, most invested in event in the world in terms of advertising. It is, inc- for, for whatever reason, UK retail at Christmas in the golden quarter is the most competitive where the best work in the world and happens. And it felt so, like there were more five-star ratings on, you know, were, out there yeah. this year than I yeah. can remember seeing The standard before. has gone up amazingly, actually. So, um, uh, I mean, one of the joys of my job is I, I, I've been doing this for five years. So I've had five Christmases to see the difference. And uh, I think my first or second Christmas, uh, John Lewis, Excitable, Edgar, and that was a that was a high five, and that that I think was probably the only, or maybe one or two. Well, the one that always gets five star of year is, is holidays are coming from Coke, of course. but because it's just it is Christmas, right? That's kind of tradition. It's isn't the it? sign of exactly. Christmas starting, and his exactly, like, it's permission. It's a fluent it's, you know, device and asset that's been used time and time exactly, again. Exactly, exactly. So that's um, that gets five star of year, but. There's usually only two or three. And the last two years, we've just seen the standard go up consistently. I mean, you've got, uh, obviously, you know, Audi, Kevin, the carrot, they just get better every year as it becomes more familiar. And they just, the craft, oh my, that every year they just turn it up another notch. But there's been a lot of new advertising. Uh, Morrison's this year got a five star. Oh, I love the... the- how yeah, good is love it? Yeah, really good. Yeah, simple, beautifully done. Amazon got a five star this year yeah. as well with the with the grands on Tear the sledges. Yeah. I mean, oh my god, that was just nailed, nailed it. So yeah, this year was I, the best I, year ever. I love yeah. KFC as well. Yes, yes, that's very right. Clever. Yeah, yeah, very clever as well. Yeah. So there's been a a really it, it's very. I mean, I I I feel pride on behalf of the whole industry really that actually in the UK at Christmas we are doing such good work and it's brilliant to see a reaction. It's brilliant to see and I think it's brilliant to see um, marketers truly understanding the data and the insight in what delivers brilliant standout advertising and, and sticking to it. You know, seeing some of the kind of repeat work happening with, you know, Kevin Carrot, etc. You know, there's devices coming through each year. But I'm also not surprised as well because for retailers, you know, the 12 weeks leading into Christmas is our peak period, our golden quarter. M- majority of us will do you know, 40 to 50% of our sales in that tw- those 12 weeks. So it is competitive it's the battleground isn't it absolutely competitive so you you've got to be in it and you've got to be playing hard and you've got to be winning that Mm -hmm. share and the advertising plays such a big role in attracting people into into brands so yeah i think we worked out i think we partnered with about 50 percent of of the top out of the five-star advertisers were were pre-tested with us in the development of it so i mean a lot i mean like you actually um uh, ones that we work with will test from january february uh, all the way through the year and d- test different edits, test different soundtracks. I mean, it's amazing actually how quickly you can get back feedback and make decisions on the go, which is brilliant. Now, the the other thing I love about the campaign is the creation of a new fluent device character in the Flamingos, which is brilliant. So tell me a little bit more about the thinking and what they're called and how you're going to use them. Because uh, I think that's a key. I, I mean, we were chatting before, weren't we? But I think if I were to, if I were to go back and go, and, and if I were to run a brand again, 
and start from scratch. Uh, one thing I've learned in this system one role is the power of having a fluent device because it makes you more recognizable. It creates more emotion. It's so flexible in terms you can use it, you know, in all sorts of different media, but it's an incredibly powerful thing that I think went out of fashion for a while. And, and I'm seeing the evidence that people are starting to realize the potency of having it. So yeah, tell me more about the... I think uh, if you write the list you of, it. you know, the hallmarks of a great piece of work, you talk about the fluent device, the emotion in there, the animation cracking soundtrack you know mm. there is a there is a recipe you to, to, you, you, you tick the boxes for sure there yeah. is a recipe <laughs> recipe in there but you know the creative was born from the strategy as every brilliant piece of work needs needs to be so we talked about the difference between good and very good and how do we translate that we talked about the sea of sameness and how we really want to stand out from a crowd be distinctive talk to the uniqueness of our customers the uniqueness of our co- wonderful culture at, at very born in the, the northwest and how do we represent that in in the work that we do and when we we came up you know the, the gate came up the really simple articulation which is very is a flamingo amongst a flock of pigeons and then how do we translate that into the creative of course the flamingos come to life it's a beautiful imagery isn't it it's, it's a bit like the black sheep and white sheep bbh sort of imagery of you know standing out in, the, in everything else being the same absolutely stand out really unique really eye-catching and the flamingo then therefore also not only represents very um, being that flamingo amongst the flock of retailers, but it also talks about our customers as well because our customers are incredibly unique and incredibly special. I talked about home culture. In yeah, there describe as well. that. Describe what, what home, is culture home culture is amazing. So we looked at our customer. We re- we know her really, really deeply, and we then were looking at our social media, understanding her trends. You know, we had some the gate had some really small focus groups rather than taking her out of her home. They were wet messaging and WhatsApping with her getting pictures of her life and putting together the kind of cultural nuances going well she's optimistic she's vibrant she's got some hedonism in there we get to this and think there's a really modern culture known as hun culture which is absolutely spot on the very customer it's hard to describe but it's it's Gemma Collins you know she's the OG hun talking to her fans during the panny d which was the pandemic it's it's Amanda Holden putting out the bins on a Friday night wearing a, wearing a pink you know slinky dress it's <laughs> popping down to the shop with your hair and rollers it's a large goblet of gin and tonic on a Friday night waiting for your delivery to come because the diet starts on, on Monday you know it is work hard play hard go the extra mile generous live life to the full it's a glittery resistance that comes in from our customer and that's hun culture resistance that's brilliant so you can see that coming through into the work because the three flamingos that we have are all huns and hun culture comes into the music we use girls aloud kitchen disco banger is is the brief it is how the houses are dressed it's it's how the flamingos address. It's the personalities of the flamingos themselves. So you can see the integration of the customer and the culture and the insight all into the three flamingos that, that we have. Very's been identified with our name, our pink and our pink cube. But now we have our fluent devices with our pink flamingos. And when you see the flamingo, Very will be instantly recognisable. But the flamingo's not just the customer, it's the Very delivery coming in with the box as well, bringing that parcel of joy to you in your home, that moment you've been waiting for is when that arrives and it's your child's favourite trainers they're looking for. It's the Lego they wanted for Christmas. It's, you know, that, that that's the moment of memories for our customers. So the Flamingo has just made absolute perfect sense. I so. love it. That's really good. It's funny, actually, I mean, you're describing that. I know exactly what you're talking about. I, know, I can picture in my, I've got loads of pictures in my head of people I know that are that person. It's great that you, you've got that level. Because sometimes when you hear people talking about their, their, their audience, it, it feels like it's a bit made up. It's like, wow, really? You know, so the way they describe it, it's like, well, I don't even, I can't recognize that person at all. You know, it's kind of this slightly, you know, 
perfect person that doesn't actually exist in real life. What you've described, we all know that. You instantly, you you see it in programs, you you live next door to them, you know, you go, they're at the hairdressers, you know, you just, just know those people, which I think is, you know, you're onto something there, doesn't it? And then our flamingos represent our customer. You know, we have the very brand in the UK and in Ireland as well. So we have an Irish flamingo, we've got a, we've got a Scouse flamingo <laughs> and we've got a flamingo from Essex as well. So we're representing our customers. Essex and Scouse flamingo, that, that feels about right, doesn't it? Yeah, they're that's, mates, that, aren't yeah, they? Of course they're they are. Best, yeah. They're, they're pals, yeah. yeah. Exactly. You're right, hun. That's a good night Perfect, out. yeah, exactly. exactly. I know what you're talking about. Um, what comes next then for the flamingos where do you take it well a flamingo is for life not just for christmas well i was John. gonna say about that because yeah are, that, that, are we where are we gonna see the flamingos you're next? gonna see the flamingos coming our fantastic feathery friends will be out in force throughout the year so yeah lots coming up for the flamingos this year um for us you know when we were first presented the idea i thought oh does a flamingo work for christmas now i'm thinking does a flamingo work for anything other than Christmas? Well, yeah. But of course it does. <laughs> yeah. Does a flamingo works if you make year? it work at Christmas, Absolutely. then you, So I we're now you're... trans, you know, as I talked earlier about the brand is not just about the yeah. campaign. The brand is every single touch point. So of course we are now making sure that we're thinking about the entire customer experience. I saw some really exciting work earlier about how we're translating the flamingo to our fashion. And our customer absolutely loves fashion. She's got a passion for fashion, aspirational, affordable fashion. So, you know, how does the flamingo come to life there as well? But yeah, Flamingo, the Flamingo is here to stay. Love it. Well, can't wait to see it. Well done. Um, very impressive. And particularly as well for a new campaign in the most competitive quarter of the year as well. So it's great, great to see that. Um, and love the fact that you, you're going to stick with it and evolve it out of Christmas. Because one, th- I suppose the only thing I'd say looking at Christmas is how much gets invested for a short period of time that you don't then see the rest of the year. Um, although actually credit to McDonald's. McDonald's did. They brought back the uh, the campaign at Christmas, so it's yeah, anyway, but but it, it's really good to see. Well, the flamingo has integrated itself into culture very more than I would ever have anticipated. We launched on the first of November, and then very quickly the word "flamazing" worked its way into our vernacular. I'm getting flamingo emojis sent to me from our CEO himself. Wow! On Black Friday itself, so that was the most magical moment. Of, of, of the lot and that shows how we, when you land a great idea or a very good idea of course it integrates into culture so quickly i remember sitting there being sent a picture from our distribution center called skygate where our colleagues were dressed up as flamingos getting our parcels ready for customers someone's mum had made flamingo cupcakes for the team our ceo was in a flamingo jumper when we patched into our contact center in south africa they were dressed in flamingos so the Within two weeks of the campaign launching, flamingos were absolutely everywhere. And we've seen that translate not only into our colleague engagement, we've seen it in our customer scores, our testing, how we um, raised um, Golden Quarter. We were 3.4% up year on year, really big swings within some of our big categories. Um, The customer numbers coming through, the feedback we've had. So, yeah, it's... um, Oh, there's nothing like a bit of momentum, is there, to to justify all the And it's just the start. Like, the best is simply yet to come. And these things build. These things are definitely cumulative, don't they? Yeah. When you've got a good fluent device like that. Just to end on, I wanted to kind of maybe switch tack a little bit. Um, Just talk to you about the mentoring you do as well. So, you you do a lot of mentoring, obviously, in the Marketing Academy as well. What are you... What are you picking up and seeing as you do your mentoring of other people? And uh, you know, what advice do you give to marketers aspiring to do the kind of career you've had? Oh, I absolutely love 
mentoring, I was, I've been so lucky to have some amazing people, whether it's been official or unofficial, be kind of trusted advisors or mentors to me. And it's my duty and I love it just to pay it forward and look after our future generation of marketers. So I do a lot of marketing through the Marketing Academy Scholarship, through the School of Marketing and other people who come through to me. And generally what I find actually is the people who are asking for some guidance are usually younger females who are trying to work their way through a maybe a bit of a male-dominated environment, go, Jess, how did you get to, to where you are? Or women who are going off or returning from maternity leave and said, this is a bit of a minefield, I'm so worried about it, can you give me some guidance on how to do it? And, you know, you, you give your own examples, you try and learn from your own mistakes. So, uh, you know, I I accept every single call that comes through to me. My EA says wow. to me, Jess, stop saying yes, and I just can't, <laughs> I just can't help myself. So I'm probably opening up myself now to a few more questions You do realise what's going to happen after I do this, know what's going to happen now. You know what you've just done, right? I do, but, you know, I absolutely love it. And I, you know, it's a, it's a real honour to be able yeah. to, you know, help our future marketing leaders and to help navigate, well, you know, it, it's, it's challenging and it's mm. really hard to try and juggle it all. Um, oh, it's so difficult. And, and look, you, particularly the time off pregnancy, having kids, the the change that happens in your life around that time and, and getting back into work and and the support you need to balance a family. It's, I mean, that if I could wave a wand and change one thing or, or just, you know, get the government to invest a lot of money, that'd be it. Because that feels like, you know, where the, where the big win would be for women in particular. Yeah, I have, I absolutely love supporting the working mums coming back into, into my team. They're also the most efficient people yes. you come across. Yes, that's so true. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I've been in a fortunate position of having uh, women in my team in that position and yeah. the efficiency and that we're not wasting time talking about this because I've got to get I've on got the to run go. at 4.30. I've got to, go to, I've got to get a nursery. I'll be back yeah. online at nine. Don't worry about it, but I've got to get done. You know, That's it's just it. that the, the focus and the jug commitment is incredible. Yeah. I mean, you know, it is a, someone needs an app to tap into the power of that. You know? Yeah. And it's, cha- you know, it's challenging for, it's not just the mums, it's the dads as well. Yeah. It's the partnership and the relationship. It's, it's the supporting around. So it's, it is a bit of a um, tricky one to, to go. It's to a massive win as well because the, the, you know the experience and the talent that women at that stage in their career will have it's it's you know as a business you you know you get so much out if you support women at that phase in their lives where you get so much back it's just a no-brainer to you know for businesses to put more support and investment behind it yeah no it's our duty of care to support it is indeed yeah well well done and it's great to hear that and thank you for sharing all your experience and wisdom and uh and well done on the great new campaign as well can't wait to see what happens the rest of this year oh thank you we're absolutely delighted with it i can't wait to show you more Indeed. It's been very good to talk to you, Jess. Thank you. You too. Thanks. (laughs) Thank you very much for listening or watching Uncensored CMO. I hope you enjoyed that. If you did, please do hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcast. If you're watching, hit subscribe there as well. I'd also love to get a review. Reviews make a big difference on other people discovering the show. So please do leave a review wherever you get your podcast. If you want to contact me, you can do. I'm over on X at Uncensored CMO or on LinkedIn where I'm under my own name, John Evans. Thanks for listening and watching. I'll see you next time.